If you have your Bibles, would you join me in John's Gospel and chapter 8? I'm going to begin listening in on a conversation between Jesus and the religious authority of his day. And then we're going to pivot to an Old Testament psalm, and we are going to hear basically the finished thought of what Jesus is speaking to the religious authority. The world in which we live is no doubt troubled. I don't think any of us would deny that. The world in which we live, and ourselves included, are tirelessly pursuing something. Ultimately, what people desire is freedom. And in order to obtain freedom, we must remove some of the absolute truth, and that's the attack that exists on the Word of God. I think it's summed up beautifully by an anonymous author who penned these words. He said, the paradox of our time in history is that we spend more, but we have less. We buy more, but enjoy it less. We have bigger houses and smaller families. More conveniences, but less time. More medicine, but less well-being. We read too little, watch TV too much, and pray too seldom. We have multiplied our possessions, but reduced our values. These, he wrote, are times of tall men and short character, steep profits and shallow relationships, days of two incomes, but more divorce, fancier houses, but broken homes. We've added years to life, not life to years. We've cleaned up the air, but polluted the soul. We've learned how to make a living, but not a life. That is the pursuit of the generation in which we live. That is the downward spiral of humanity that Scripture declares unto us inevitably will arrive in a world that is cursed by sin. It's facts. We live in a world where the divorce rate is up. Teen suicide is up. Violent crime is up. The number of babies born out of wedlock, up. Thinking that they are obtaining freedom, humanity is actually finding utter bondage. Again, it's an inescapable reality. Most people define freedom as being able to do whatever you feel like doing, whenever you feel like doing it. But what they soon find out is that freedom that they aspire to is actually just another form of slavery. In John chapter 8, in these verses that we're going to read here shortly, we'll discover as Jesus is speaking what lies behind that slavery, what lies behind that bondage, and we'll hear Jesus communicate the prescription, the steps, the motivation for true freedom. Now be clear, Jesus here, by the time we arrive in the midst, and we're jumping right into the middle of John 8, he's locked in a confrontation with the religious authorities. Jesus has just declared unto them that he is the light of the world, implying that his opponents that he is engaged with are living in darkness. He's actually been so bold as to say they are in danger of the fires of hell. Because ultimately they are from below, and he is from above, and those two worlds do not mix. They're reeling a little bit from his verbal assault, and Jesus continues on, and this is what he says in John 8 and verse 31, and if you don't have your Bible, these verses will be here on the screen so you can know this is God's word. Then 
said Jesus to those Jews which believed on him, if, that's conditional, if ye continue in my word, then are ye my disciples indeed. An if-then statement. And ye shall know the truth, and the truth shall make you free. They answered him, we be Abraham's seed. And we're never in bondage to any man. How sayest thou, ye shall be made free? Jesus answered them, Verily, verily, I say unto you, Whosoever committeth sin is the servant of sin, and the servant abideth not in the house forever, but the son abideth forever. If the son therefore shall make you free, you shall be free indeed. Now Jesus is speaking in a sense, in a veiled way. They're having trouble really comprehending what Jesus is saying. In effect, they push back. We're not in bondage. We're not, we're we're free. We're Abraham's seed, which is actually kind of a mistruth as at this point in time, they are servants to Rome. But what Jesus is ultimately trying to communicate to them is about spiritual slavery. He's telling them they're in spiritual bondage and they don't want to hear it. That same sense or spirit of denial exists in us today. People are reticent to accept the truth of their condition. Not just lost, but also believers. If we suggest to someone they're in bondage, usually they resist the idea. I don't want to be told that. In fact, what we have found, according to Scripture, is the more enslaved someone actually is to sin, the more they resent being told that they are enslaved. Humanity, and maybe even some of us that are gathered in this room, think that we are on the verge of obtaining freedom if we will just get away from the Word of God, and what Jesus speaks is exactly the opposite. If I can get away from God's word and go my own way, I will finally obtain freedom. And the scripture denies that. We're about to enter into the greatest bondage we've ever known when we distance ourselves from God's word. In that state of distance, we resent any suggestion from friend or family that we are going the wrong direction. But we have to wake up. Freedom lies in adherence to the Word of God. If the listeners, and that's us, just tuned in on what Jesus said, if you continue in my Word, if you dwell in my Word, if you abide in my Word, then you are my disciples, and you will know truth, And the truth will be the freedom that you are so desperately searching for. Continue in my word. One of the first things we learn about God within Scripture is that God is a speaking God. By the time we get into Genesis chapter 1, God said, let there be light. God is not silent. God speaks to us. Now, we're going to expand on this in just a moment, but we grasp that God speaks to us. In fact, I have open here a Bible. The special revelation of God to mankind. It's fact, a research study was commissioned. Here's some good news from this research study concerning the Bible. 85% of households in this country own at least one Bible. 
In fact, the average household owns nearly five copies of the Bible. That's hard copies of the Bible. Not not talking about your iPad or your laptop or your phone. Five copies of the Bible. 69% of Americans believe the Bible provides answers and direction on how to live a meaningful life. And that's very intentionally stated. You say, well, that's really good. How do we have the moral recession that we're living in? Well, here's the bad news. 26% of those same people either never read it or only read it once a year. Staggering. 79% of those surveyed believe they are knowledgeable about the Bible, but only about half of them could identify the first five books. And I know you're sweating right now and thinking, please don't call on me. I don't know that I could do it either. And it's Genesis, Exodus, Mark, Luke, Revelation. We all know it. (laughs) Let's not play games. It's the first five books of the Bible. Piece of cake. Here's what we have to grasp. Listen, the statistics within the church are not vastly different than the statistics outside of the church. Believers like us who distance ourselves from an abiding presence of the Word of God in our lives, our spiritual hearts have stopped beating. We're flatlined. We're cold. We are pursuing on all fronts some kind of fulfillment, trying to reinstate some passion, chasing down any type of joy when the Scripture simply says to us as Jesus speaks, If you continue in my word, then you will be my disciples. As my disciple, you will know the truth, and the truth will bring you the ultimate freedom that you are desperately searching for. Continue in my word. How do I continue in the word of God? Well, continuing in the word of God simply has two facets to it. Study and obey the word of God. If I study and I obey the word of God, then I am a true disciple of Jesus Christ. I am a learner of Jesus Christ, which is what we should be. Listen, it's also what the Great Commission tells us to do. We go and make disciples of Jesus Christ. You cannot be a disciple apart from the word. You cannot make disciples apart from the word. Why is so much of your spiritual existence lived out apart from the word? If I am a disciple, then I know the truth. What kind of truth do I know? Well, certainly historical truth. No doubt scientific truth. But you learn spiritual truth. The truth about your own soul's condition. The truth about a holy God. The truth about salvation. And in that, there is freedom. With truth comes freedom. Martin Luther, the reformer, wrote this concerning the scriptures. He said, let us then consider it certain and conclusively established that the soul can do without all things except the word of God. And that where this is not there is no help for the soul in anything else whatsoever. But if it has the word, it is rich and lacks nothing since this word is the word of life. It is the word of truth, of light, of peace, of righteousness, of salvation, of joy, of liberty, of wisdom, of power, of grace, of glory, and of every blessing beyond our power to estimate. I have to reference that because I'm not smart enough to pin that. The Bible is everything that we need. 
So all we're saying is we live in a world that is desperately pursuing freedom. We as believers are seeking the same. And Jesus explicitly says the path to freedom exists in continuing in my word. We know from scripture that God is a speaking God. How then can I continue in his word? And here's where we pivot into the Old Testament, the 19th Psalm, and we find out truth about God's word. In fact, it's a concise summary on the Bible. In the first part of the 19th Psalm, we are told that God speaks to us through creation. That the heavens declare His glory. Let's call that general revelation. Generally speaking, God is revealing Himself to us. That's fact. Every day that the sun comes up, every day that the weather arrives, every time that you see the trees and the grass, God is proclaiming unto you that He exists. He is speaking to you so that all humanity is without excuse, Romans tells us. But the second portion of the 19th Psalm says not only does God generally reveal himself, he specifically reveals himself within his word. And that's what I want to focus on for just a moment. The special revelation of God. If you continue in my word, we can't get off track and it's a very simple thesis. Then you are a true disciple. If you are a disciple, you will encounter the truth, and the truth that you encounter, if you obey, will ultimately bring you the freedom that you are so desperately seeking out. Continue in my word. Listen now as I read David's writing, Psalm 19.7. Stunning scripture. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. The testimony of the Lord is sure, making wise the simple. The statutes of the Lord are right, rejoicing the heart. The commandment of the Lord is pure, enlightening the eyes. The fear of the Lord is clean, enduring forever. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. More to be desired are they than gold, yea, than much fine gold. Sweeter also than honey and the honeycomb. Moreover, by them is thy servant warned, and in keeping of them there is great reward. That is a concise summary on what the Word of God is and what the Word of God does. Jesus says it brings freedom. David says it brings great reward. And here's where I must tell you, we're now into the message. I've got 16 things to tell you. You say, well, all right, we're, we're doing okay. I feel like you're kind of hurrying through. It's post-Thanksgiving for you too, right, Pastor? Oh, yeah. I'm just as tired as you are. Here we go. Here's what we know. The law of the Lord is perfect. This is what the Bible is. This is what the Word of God is. Generally speaking, He's telling us about Himself. Specifically, He's teaching us through His Word. And the law of the Lord is perfect. The law, that's the Torah the Hebrew teaches us. It's any instruction that flows from the revelation of God. It is the basis for all life and all action. And David says, it's perfect. It's sound. Literally, anything that is in the Word is theologically and ethically sound. 
And I can level with you. Pretty much anything outside of it is not trustworthy. The law of the Lord is perfect. Whatever instruction God delivers is sound. He says, the testimony of the Lord is sure. This is legal language. Bear not false witness. That's what the Bible teaches us all the way back in the Ten Commandments. There's a lot of legal language within Scripture. This is legal language. Whenever somebody is called into the courtroom by either prosecution or defense, they've got to tell the truth. They testify what they know, they testify what they've seen, they testify what they've heard, and they swear that they are telling the truth. Here in David's writing in the 19th Psalm, it's legal terminology. God is the one doing the testifying. He's testifying what he's heard, what he has seen, what he has experienced, and basically David says, whatever God says is trustworthy. Whatever he says You can trust. One author wrote this. You can throw your weight on God's testimony and it will hold up. The law of the Lord is perfect. It is is inescapable. The testimony is sure. The statutes of the Lord are right. The guiding principles. The signs along the way. That tell me what I am to be doing, what road I am on, the speed I'm to be driving, what the exits are, the signs along the highway that tell you where you are, where you're going. It's good advice. David says, whatever signs God has revealed in his word, whatever he has told you in his word, it's good advice. Spurgeon said this, a good physician gives the right medicine. A good counselor gives the right advice. That's what the book of God does. In the multitude of counselors, there is safety. We're always looking for input from somebody outside to help us navigate an internal decision. And what we are learning is this, the greatest counselor that exists on earth is right here. It is the word of God and it always gives good advice. You cannot miss it. The statutes of the Lord are right all the time. The commandment of the Lord is pure. It's without contamination. It's clear. It's not muddied. Now we're coming just off of Thanksgiving. You probably got together with some family. And I know what it's like to have a gathering of people and to have disposable cups that get names on them. You know what I'm talking about? And that cup can be left in the kitchen or it can be left out in the living room. And if you don't have your name on it and you can't quite remember where you set your cup down, you might walk out and pick that cup up, see that there's a ring down on the inside. You're not certain it's yours. What are you going to do with that cup? Some of you are probably like, I don't drink from it. Who cares? I wasn't wearing lipstick. I don't think. There's lipstick on it. It's fine. You're going to throw it out and you're going to get a clean cup. And what we know is that the commandment of the Lord is pure. It's clear. It's not complicated. Trouble is, we don't like being commanded. It's not just pure, it's clean. The fear of the Lord is clean. The fear of the Lord. Why? Well, for one thing, when God reveals himself to you and to me, it is awe-inspiring, it is properly speaking fear-inducing, and we see ourselves as we should. When Moses walked up upon the bush, he popped his shoes off, and he understood he was on holy ground. Fearfully awe-inspiring. 
When Isaiah encountered the holy God, he says, in essence, I am undone. I am unclean. The fear of the Lord is a cleaning agent. When I see myself up against the scriptures, I know myself for what I am. And I'm not that impressive. I can fool you. I can be disingenuine. I can be insincere. I'm so equipped to survive in the church world at this point in my life. I could live out years and you'd never know I was a fake on the inside. I know you're curious. Are you, pastor? Stick around. Find out. But here's what I do know. I can't fake myself when I encounter awesome God. When I see His holiness, I can't be insincere. It reveals me for who I am. He's just saying, listen, the Word of God is uncontaminated, and in the end it is protective. The judgments of the Lord are true. Here's the bottom line. What God says is wrong is wrong. What God says is right is right. You aren't the authority. The church isn't the authority. The pastor isn't the authority. The voters aren't the authority. The government's not the authority. Sola Scriptura. Scriptures alone. Now we live in a world where people want to decimate absolute truth. They want to walk away from it. Here's where we can stand with conviction. The judgments of the Lord are true and righteous altogether. I can't change it. It is what it is. God said that's wrong, that's wrong. You say, well, you can't stand up in our world and say that about homosexuality or gender fluidity or on down the line. What God says is wrong is wrong. What God says is right is right. It's not up to me to try to mold and change and press into any shape for the comfortability of those that are around us. The word of God is the absolute standard for righteousness. Now you go back to verse 7, and you start to see the alternating lines. Here's what the Word of God is, David says, and here's what the Word of God does, David says. It converts the soul. The law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. It has the capacity to convert the soul. Now in the Hebrew, that's the same word that David used in the 23rd Psalm to restore the soul. The good shepherd restoreth my soul. It converts my soul. Get this. No matter how far you've gone, no matter how deep you've fallen, God has given you a roadmap to return to fellowship with Him. In effect, what David is saying is the Bible brings you back. The Bible always brings you back. Now there's some breadth to that expression, converts the soul. The Bible brings you back. What it is communicating in the idea of reviving the soul is that the Word of God is our spiritual food. We're malnourished. We're we're impotent, we're apathetic, and we're weak. And to be quite honest, it's a pretty uncomplicated solution. We'd like to think that there's some maxims that we have to uphold and some principles that we've got to live out and and there's steps that we've got to take. And here's what we're learning. You want to convert and restore the soul? Eat some spiritual food. Continue in the word of God and your malnourished spiritual strength will have some vitality return to it. But you cannot distance yourself from the word of God and not imagine that you will be an impotent, apathetic, malnourished believer. It restores, it converts 
the soul. The Bible makes you wise. And you have to agree you need wisdom. In the New Testament, we're told if any of us lack wisdom, we can ask of God. Who giveth to all men liberally and upbraideth not. And one of the things God's going to say to you is, I have given you specific revelation. Read it. Take advantage of it. You say, well, I'm not simple. I know simple means dumb. You know, many times throughout Scripture, simple simply means open-minded and ready to learn. One of the greatest things you can do for your spiritual life, and I'm not saying this because I'm the pastor, would be to come into a room like this with an open mind ready to learn. To take preconceived notions that maybe we've hold on, held on to for decades and set them aside and return to the simplicity of the truth of Scripture. The fact is, it literally makes you wise. The Bible rejoices the heart. I've not met anybody who is not looking for joy, happiness. All of us dread those moments in the middle of the night where you pop awake and your brain begins to tell your body everything that is amiss in your world. Physiologically, you begin to feel it right down here in your belly. You feel like your heart thumps in your chest and you wonder, is this, is this a heart attack? This is probably a heart attack. Now, should I wake my wife up and tell her goodbye? Just check out and let her sleep? I'm dying. I don't know what to do here. I just want to be happy. You ever felt like that? I just want to be happy. You know, if I could just go somewhere in the middle of the woods and sit by myself, I think I'd be happy. You know what, what I've learned? Everywhere I go, I go. <laughs> and that is just a bad thing. Everywhere you go, you go. You say, yeah, but if I could just get to the next stage, if I could just change spouses, if we could just have another house, if I could just start down another path, if I could just get out of here, if I could just get through this, then I'll be happy. Stop for a second and just listen to what the Bible says about the Bible. It rejoices the heart. Perhaps it's as simple as some of the joy that you lack is your distance from continuing in God's word. And thinking you're finding freedom, maybe it's just a little bit of time. What you're actually finding is utter bondage because the word rejoices the heart. It enlightens the eyes. Here's the point. The Bible not only brings you back and feeds you, the Bible not only makes you wise and gives you joy, but it helps you see. It helps you see. The Hebrew construction of this implies that the revelation of God gives off light. We know that. It is a lamp that illumines our path. It's like a flashlight that we go through. You ever imagine that you could see things pretty well until somebody turned the lights on? You ever worn one black sock and one blue sock and didn't know it until you got out of the house? And you stood in the sunlight and you thought, yeah, my socks don't match. You ever thought, you ever thought for a second that you had pretty good clean teeth and then the dentist puts that bright light on them and holds, and you think, oh my word, I've, looks like I've smoked eight packs of cigarettes every day all of my life. Here's the facts. You might think you're okay. You might perceive that you're squared away. You imagine that you can see all that you need to see until you turn the light of scripture on and go, oh, oh, love means that. Gracious speech in everything 
humble service, nothing in strife or vainglory, all things by prayer and supplication. Woe is me, I am undone. It enlightens. It's literally a big bright light that gets turned on. And all of us know our pathway is so hard to navigate, we certainly could be aided by a brighter light. The Bible endures forever. The heavens and the earth will pass away, but my word will endure forever. It will be true for your entire lifetime. It's not going to adapt. In fact, long after you're gone, it will still be true. Before you got here, it was true. Deep into eternity in the presence of the Lord, it will still be the truth. It's never altered. It's never been wrong. It is true and righteous altogether. It will never lead you astray. It will always hit the mark of genuine godliness. That's your pursuit, is it not? It will never steer you to a place where you miss the mark. It will always lead you to true holiness and humble purity. It is true and it is righteous altogether. It's fact. The Bible gives us clear direction for the specific situations we find ourselves in. The decisions that we have to make. We have the answers to our own questions right here. We know what to do. If we consult God's word. We're not left wondering and unsure about what is right. The fact is, the scripture stirs up the ability to avoid the painful, tragic consequences of sin. By obeying God's precepts. By simply doing what is right. We reap the joyous benefits of righteousness. We spare ourselves the excruciating pain of sin and its wages. It teaches us how to please the Lord. Those who truly and sincerely love God desire to please Him. The disciple wants to please the master teacher. Pleasing the Lord brings that calm assurance in our lives. We can rest in our integrity, peace to our hearts, joy to our souls, because we are in unison, in relation, in fellowship with God. It gives us insight. To God's purposes, even for trials and afflictions. It makes it possible to rejoice in the midst of difficult moments. No wonder we must continue in the word of God to experience true freedom. See, I just wish it was easier. I wish it was more fun. I wish it was more pliable. Well, obedience to it is the secret to joy. And freedom. And everything that you have perceived as freedom away from it only brings more bondage. I'll simply conclude by sharing what one author wrote concerning what happens when we simply return to continuing in the word. Number one, excuses are replaced with confession. No more excuses. I see it. I have to adhere to it. No more excuses. It's not their fault. It's not my life experience. It's not my past. I am accountable and I no longer make excuses. I confess. It replaces selfishness with servanthood. That's what scripture leads us to do. It's not about you. It's not about me. We're servants of the Lord. It replaces compromise with commitment, he wrote. And I know you probably think like me. Okay, champ, I've confessed before. Falling right back flat on my face. Well, I never have. Every time I confess, it's fixed for life. 
That's not that funny. I mean, I'm a pretty good guy. (laughs) I know exactly what you mean. How many times does God want to hear me say sorry for that? How many times do I have to confess that this is an up and down thing, man? Revival does not last for me. Someone once asked Billy Sunday, who was an evangelist in the early 1900s, does revival last? He said, no, but neither does a bath. He said, it's good to have one occasionally. If you want friends, you probably ought to take a bath every single day. If you want fellowship, you need reviving every day as well. Why do you imagine that you can go Sunday to Sunday without engaging in the Word of God and remain in tight fellowship with the Lord? Why is your decision-making process in shambles? I mean, this isn't complicated. We've made this so challenging. I need three books that are this thick that break down the process for me. If you continue in my word, then you will be my disciples. By being my disciple, you will find the truth and the truth will set you free. Yeah, but, but you've got to understand, I have an addiction and I'm not passing all of this off. There is ways to help, but the fact is, if you aren't in the word of God, no set of principles or steps that you will take will ultimately bring you the freedom that God's word can and adherence to it. Finally, he says, complacency is replaced with devotion. Complacency with devotion. I know I'm the same, but my love for God ebbs and flows. It comes and goes based on life experience and where I find myself in the moment. I'm so inconsistent and I'm so broken and I'm so sinful. How can I be truly devoted to God? I grasp that. The Apostle Paul did as well. I'll paraphrase what he said in the seventh chapter of Romans. The things I want to do, I don't do. And the things that I don't want to do, I always do. Oh, wretched man that I am. Perhaps we just get to the place where we stop saying how wretched you are for making me feel this way. How wretched you are for making me do this. How wretched this world is for making me fall flat on my face. Those things that I don't want to do, I always do. And the things that I really want to do, I just seem to never be able to get them done. Oh, wretched man that I am. I am broken. I am sinful. I understand that I am not Fully devoted in my, in my being. I love what one wrote. I think this helps me so greatly. He said, the only way to keep a broken pot filled with water is to keep the faucet running. Just imagine a pot in your sink with a hole in it. If you don't keep the faucet running into the pot, the pot empties out because it's a broken vessel. The only way to keep the pot filled is to always have the faucet on. I don't disagree with you that you are broken, as am I. I know that we can be complacent, but we can replace that with genuine commitment. We can be unfaithful, but we can replace that with devotion. We always make excuses, but we can replace that with confession. And and we always are selfish, but we can replace that with being a servant. If we'll keep the faucet of the Word of God running in us, I wish that I could convey with enough passion how simple the fix is for most of what ails us. Just continue in the Word of God. Study it and obey it. Have the faucet on and always running in. It's the only way for broken pots like us to stay filled. This is the turning point you've been looking for. 
This is the answer to your question. This is the fix for what ails you and me. This is the hole inside of us. If you continue in my word, Jesus said, then you are my disciples indeed. And you will know the truth and the truth will set you free. It's not another house. It's not another spouse. It's not another job. It's not a shift in the weather. It's not a shift in seasons of life. It's not external. It's the word. And as you distance yourself from it, thinking you're finding freedom, you just find that the chains are getting tighter and the noose is getting tighter and you're in utter bondage. That's what's happening in our world. I could opine, but I will not. Our world thinks they have freedom. And what they're finding is a new form of bondage. And where the word of God reigns, there is peace. The fix is simple. I, 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 we reject the simple things. It's got to be more complex than that. I'm so intelligent. I'm so wired in. I've carried a Bible and I've been everywhere, man. I've done it all. I need the deep, deep, nuanced fix for this. Continue in the Word of God. Get back to the place where you're doing that and watch what happens. Would you please bow your heads for just a moment, please? Thanks for listening this week to the Graceway Baptist Church Podcast. For more information about our church and our ministries, head on over to our website at gracewaycharlotte.org. We are a church located in South Charlotte. We are growing, and our ministries are doing big things for Christ. If you're looking for a way to get plugged into what we're doing, email us at info at gracewaycharlotte.org. Also, stay in the loop with everything happening by following us on Facebook and Instagram. Our handle is Graceway Charlotte. Thanks again for listening to the Graceway Charlotte podcast. We'll see you next week.